working with Spurgeon, isn't it? That's always kind of a rule of thumb. No doubt about that. He was the great prince of preachers and uh, such a wonderful ministry he had in that place there in London. We are moving through 1 Timothy, and today you notice we are taking a large bite, right? A lot of verses here. But as I was studying this, this all does hang together. You know, it's sort of, uh, you have to look at this as a unit in order to really understand what is going on in this section of Scripture. And so we do want to look at it as a, <clears throat> a whole unit this morning. And uh, <clears throat> it's really dealing with genuine ministry. Uh, genuine would, has a definition of something that is true. I don't think I really need to press that too much. I think we all would understand that. If it's genuine, it's true. Ministry is done for somebody else. It's not done for us. It's done for somebody else in view. And so, you know, genuine ministry is something that all of us should be and need to be involved with. You've noticed the word ministry has been used a number of times in the titles that I've had for our messages here in 1 Timothy because so much is dealing with ministry and how we encourage one another and how we observe one another. And the first two verses set out a, a sort of an, a plan for the church. And then in verses 3 down through verse 16, he turns to an individual group that were a part of the church that needed some special care. And so we want to deal with it that way this morning. Now, the outline may be a little more disjointed, I would think, than maybe normal, but I trust it'll be something that you can follow along with me. I've often heard this statement made, to live above with saints I know, oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints I know, that's a different story, right? I think everybody has heard that at least one time in their life or another because of just the basic normal understandings that we do have a human fallen nature. Did you know that? I'm sure you did. You didn't have to be alive too long to realize that you had a fallen nature. That, um, that little baby that is so sweet, and you ought, to, you ought to watch Andrew this morning when they were practicing. He was up here, he was directing Joel and Bethany for the offertory. Not really directing, but, you know, he has a sin nature, doesn't he, Joel? I'm sure you can testify to that. You know, every baby has a sin nature. It's just part of who it is and what we're all about. So because of that, there's going to be difficulties in our lives. There's going to be issues, and when you have a church, you have a number of folks with what? A sin nature. Now, hopefully, prayerfully, they have been regenerated by the Spirit of God. Okay? I think that would be something that we would all pray for and hope for. But there still is that sin nature, isn't there, that has a tendency to rise from time to time and, and show itself when it comes to certain things. And Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you, know, you need some encouragement. Now, I understand that. Well, any time in your life you need some encouragement? I think all of us do from time to time, don't we? You know, we need somebody to encourage us. I'm sure he's been overwhelmed. I mean, we've been through 1 Timothy down to chapter 5, and he has talked about a lot of topics and subjects that Timothy has to understand. Godliness, well, there's a topic that we could spend a lot of time on, and the word's used a number of times. How to use the Word of God, even in public ministry. Giftedness, diligence, how to balance the life with doctrine. 
all these things have been topics that Paul has addressed Timothy towards and how to handle these things. And, and again, keeping our focus. In our day and age, it is so easy to, to lose our focus. I mention this often because to me it is one of the biggest problems of the church is to lose the focus of why God placed us here. Now, we can do some good deeds like feeding the poor and all, but that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to preach the gospel. And when we miss that, we're missing the purpose for what God has placed the church. Remember the Great Commission. We stalled this on Wednesday night. Go into all the world. Teach the gospel. And so our focus has to always be sharp. And it's easy to get out of focus, isn't it? Remember the day you got your glasses? I've used this before, but you didn't realize what you was missing until you put those glasses on the first time. I could actually see the blackboard in the school. I could see the leaves on the trees. You all had the same experience. We didn't really realize what we were missing. And so, you know, we've got to keep a sharp focus on what God has given for us to do. And this is our purpose. It's why we're placed here. It's why He saved you. It's why He placed us in a church together. And Timothy, there's some difficulties going on. It seems like in this passage... He is dealing with difficulties more than any other time. There, there, there seems to be a problem going on here with, with some of the, with the widows or the ladies, and we'll see this as we go through. But he says you've got to treat people right. That's just part of it. You know, there's got to be a, an issue in your life where people are treated the way that God would have them to be treated. And so he gives some guidelines on how to treat one another. And then he's going to, the first two verses will be a, a general statement. Then he's going to focus in on a special group, widows. He's going to divide those widows into two parts, or two sections, I should say, and how the, what the church's responsibility is for them. And so this passage is dealing with that very important area of our interpersonal relationships that we have with one another. Father, as we spend a few moments this morning out of a busy week, help us to be focused upon your word. Thank you for giving it to us. May it speak to our hearts now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to start out looking first of all at the individuals because Timothy addresses individuals in the first two verses and he divides them into two groups. He's going to talk first of all to men and he's going to talk to women. So that's basically how our first point will look this morning. Individuals first of all. We're going to have, we have a genuine ministry to individuals. And he says, when it comes to the men in the church, he says, you have a definite ministry to those individual men. He rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, young man as a brother, elder woman as a mother, younger as sisters with all purity. You get the picture? Family. Isn't that a great word? Family. Family is the way that we should treat one another inside the local church. Timothy? Let me tell you this, first of all. How do you treat older men? Now, the word elder here, sometimes we think of an office, but here he's talking about somebody who's older than Timothy. How old was Timothy? Probably in his 40s, we said, 35 to 40. Probably a lot of folks in the church that were older than him. He says, Timothy, whenever you are involved in an issue with somebody who's older than you, handle it well. Do it in a right way. Now, He's not saying you shouldn't rebuke because if there is sin, it has to be dealt with. No doubt about that. But he says the way you do it, the tone you use is very important. The idea of rebuke is really says don't attack. 
Don't attack an elder. Don't attack somebody who's older than you. Show respect. Now that should be true for all of God's children. We should all show respect, shouldn't we, for one another. I mean, that's just a, a basic Christian, biblical element to our lives that we would respect those that are born in the image of God, or that would be for everybody, but then who are saved and part of the family of God. So he says, you know, Timothy, when it comes to older men, just, just treat them with respect. Yes, you may have to do something. You may have to rebuke them. That, that's there, but he says rebuke. No, he said, but do it in a proper way. What about the younger men? He said, treat them like you would your brothers. Boy, sometimes you think that may not be too well, right? <laughs> but he says, treat them like your brothers, and he's using this in the right way, all right? Because uh, you know how the old brother issue is. Uh, you may fight with one another, but let somebody pick on your brother, and you're ready to defend them, right? That's sort of the way it is. And so, you know, he says, when it comes to your brothers, uh, do that also in a certain way. Do it as you would and as you care for them. There may be some personal exhortations that you need, and they may be necessary, but it's done in the right tone. Ladies, he says, when you're dealing with ladies, even as an extra requirement in this, in this section, and rightfully so, he should add this extra requirement, and especially in the culture we live in today, this is something that's very, very important for us to see. He says, when it comes to the elder women, treat them as your mother. Uh, all the love and all the caring involved in how you would treat your mother in the situation. Same way with, you know, the older gentleman, but there should be that care, there should be that respect. Uh, one of the commandments even addressed that, doesn't it? Number five, about honor your father and your mother. So he says, when it comes to how you treat that person inside the church, do it in a proper way. Do it as a, as, as a mother you would you know, have that concern for. And, your, and, and younger ladies, treat them as you would your sisters. Boy, you know, if you have a sister, and I only had a brother, but if you had a sister, it becomes your responsibility to protect her, doesn't it? I mean, that's just sort of an unwritten rule. You wouldn't pick on your, on, you wouldn't allow anybody to pick on your sister. There's an area there of protection that's involved. And he says, that's how you should treat individuals in the body of Christ. And he says, you know, it's a family. This family has been pulled, selected out of the world, placed into this local assembly. Now, we're part of the church, which would be the body of Christ, but we are a local expression of that. Those of us who know Christ as personal Savior, so he says you should treat individuals inside the church like you would your family. Well, that really elevates this thing, doesn't it? And he says when it comes to younger women, do so, and he adds three more words, with all purity. Let nothing be done that would be shady or underhanded. Keep your testimony at all times. Don't allow anything to, to happen that's going to hinder the purity of the situation, and we need that warning today with all of the events that are going on around us. You know, this really kind of breaks down the cliques in the church, doesn't it? We're responsible for everybody. There's going to be some people you're naturally going to be more attracted to than others, but there should be an understanding that this is part of God's plan and God's family. And in a family... 
One thing you got to do is handle some problems, don't you? I've been involved in two families as a, as a child and then as a father, and let me tell you, I have understood that you have problems inside of a family. I don't think anybody's going to argue with me on that. There's going to be times whenever there's going to be difficulties, right? It's just part of the natural process that happens. So how do you handle those kind of issues that come up? Well, let me just address, I don't have it on the screen this morning. I think there's five questions you can ask yourself when it comes to any kind of issue that comes up inside the family. This is whether it's church or your own personal family that I think really helps us to be able to define how we handle one another inside the family of God. First question would be, is this, would be this. And, and I'm thinking of uh, this in the sense of, if this would happen to me, uh, is it necessary? When it comes to confronting somebody or talking to somebody about an issue, you know, is it necessary? And I think the idea here is, you know, if there's a problem, would I appreciate if somebody came and asked me if, if there's a problem? Well, that's sort of a general rule of thumb, isn't it? Whenever an issue starts to arise, you know, you've got to first of all think, is it necessary? Is it substantial? Is it worth the effort, or is it going to sort of pass over at some time? And so I think the first question you'd ask is, is it necessary? The second question is this, uh, do I have my facts right? Well, this is an important one right here. Proverbs 18, 13 talks about this. Is it is just something I heard on the grapevine? Or is it just something that, that somebody has told me about this? Or is it somebody has just sort of alluded to this situation? Uh, do I have my facts? Are my facts right? Is it true? Is it something that has been proven? Or is it just something that I have sort of gathered from some kind of a, of a, 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 a likening of hearing people talk around me? you got to get your facts. Always, and that's the reason why I think Matthew 18 is so important when we go to our brother and we talk to him about the issue. It's hard to make charges without facts just because somebody told me. Third question is, is my timing right? You know, sometimes things are going on in people's lives that really makes it hard to approach them. You know, they have issues, <laughs> maybe, maybe something's gone wrong at home or, or they're having some kind of a special problem in their life. And, you know, sometimes it's just you don't get a good response if you try to approach somebody about an issue. So our timing needs to be right. You know, we need to, we need to look at the timing that we have and say, you know, is this a good time to talk about that? Not in front of a whole group of people. Maybe it's just something that needs to be done privately. Fourth question is, have you prayed about it? Well, that's an important one too, isn't it? Have you asked God for wisdom? It says in James that he gives to all men liberally and abradeth not. You prayed about it? Have you asked God about it? Have you asked God what the situation is and how you should handle these areas? Number five, have you laid out a, a process? Have you laid out a a process to do this. Remember Nathan? When he came to David about Bathsheba, what did he do? He told him a story about a little lamb. Of course, David understood the implications, or understood that, and then when the time was right, he says, now David, you know, this is you. This is what you've done. 
You know, do we have a process to, to go through this area? Because it's important. A family is an important issue. A church is an important place where our interpersonal reactions to one another are very, very significant. And it does deal a lot with our love for the brethren. And that's a command that God gives to us. Loving our brothers. And so he says, you have a genuine ministry. And we all have a genuine ministry to individuals. Because there's times all of us are going to have our difficulties and our problems. Now he's going to select a group. And we'll see two things about this group. Second thing I want you to notice is the widows indeed in verse 3. He says, honor widows that are widows indeed. Now, here, this is it. Next, how many verses? Down to verse 16. Is really built on two words. Honor widows. This is an imperative. You honor widows would be the way the grammar would, would find itself. Honor widows. This is what I want you to do. This is what I'm telling you. In your local church there at Ephesus, you must honor the widows. Now, Everything else after this is the fine print. You, you, ever read, you ever been involved in some kind of a policy where, you know, they got the big stuff and then there's the, the fine print at the bottom? Or remember the commercials on television where the guy gives you the commercial and he starts talking real fast, you can hear him, that kind of thing? Well, that's what this is. This is, the, this is the words. Everything else after this becomes the fine print. This is the command. This is what he wants us to do. And then he's going to describe how we do that. Isn't what the fine print does? Well, the fine print gives you all the disclaimers, and you find out that you weren't covered. You thought you were. <laughs> I won't go into all these details, but you know how that all works. Uh, somebody has pulled a fast one on you, so on and so forth. But the big issue is we are to honor widows. And so the principle is found there in verse 3. That would be our first under the widows indeed. He says, honor widows that are widows indeed. The Bible is filled with the ideas of caring for one another. If you go back to the Old Testament, I think it's Leviticus, they were told not to reap their fields too well. Remember this? Because the ones who were poor could come in and gather some of the crops. What was Ruth doing in the book of Ruth? She was going to the field of Boaz and he even told them to leave her certain part, places of grain so she could harvest that. But she was not alone in that field. There were other people who were poor who were in the fields and they were gleaning and they were getting for themselves. And they are told, the ones who produce the crop are told, don't pick it too close. Now, it just sort of goes against people's nature, doesn't it? You know, leave some of that for the widows and others who are poor. I, I read Acts chapter 6. The early church, they're having trouble. Remember? Difficulties. And the church is gathered together, and sure enough, the first problem that arises is, what are we going to do about the widows? There's a disturbance between the Grecian widows and the Jewish widows, and so what's happening? They appoint, oh, I think it's six men, seven men. Oh, I think it's seven, six or seven, one or the other, to take care of the situation. And these are the men who are given that responsibility. They are the first deacons, is what we would call these individuals. And their responsibility becomes to be sure that there is a distribution 
for those who are destitute, those widows who are having problems. So, you know, this is a very great biblical situation that's going on. But the interesting thing about our passage today is the word indeed. It's found three times in the passage. We find it in verse 3. They are widows indeed. We find it in verse 5. Now she, now, she, now she that is a widow indeed. In verse 16, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Three times this phrase is used. So therefore he asks significance here. And his point is this, and we'll see this as we go. These are widows that are truly widows. Now you say, how in the world does that work? Well, it means they, are, they don't have anybody else to care for them. That would be the definition that's going on in the passage. And we'll see that this is even going to be classified into two different groups. Uh, those who are widows, they are going to be classified as those who have family and those who don't have family. And then it's going to be classified again. Out of that, he's going to draw some more conclusions. He's going to define who a widow indeed is, what kind of an attitude and what kind of a life that she has lived. So hang with me. Let's look at these things. First of all, the widow indeed. After the principle, there's an evaluation. How do we know who is a widow indeed? Verses 4 through 8, he gives to us some guidelines. And again, the idea here is honoring is more than just being kind to them. There's probably a financial aspect to this situation, especially when we go down to verse 10 where he talks about, uh, verse 10 where he talks about they have a, um, I'm sorry, verse 9, it says they are going into the number. Most translations would say the role. So there has to be probably some kind of a, a financial component to this whole issue that he's talking about with widows. And I think that's what he is dealing with here in this section. Okay? So let's look first of all at the evaluation, verses 4 through 8. If any widow have children or nephews, very unfortunate translation. The idea should be grandchildren. Makes sense, but it's family members. Let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Paul's going to give some guidelines. If a widow is going to receive some kind of financial help from the local assembly, then there has to be certain things that are true. She should be honored, no question about it. Commandment number five, honor your father and your mother. There's no doubt about that in Scripture. There's no argument about that. That's God's plan. But he says when it comes to somebody who is going to need some kind of help, and remember, I put all these things, this is well before our age. This would be back in uh, first century A.D. There's no government programs, you know, and I'm not going to get into government That's not even my point this morning. But these would be people who are destitute, okay? They are having problems financially. It would be the idea. It says, she should show piety at home. She should be a good example. Now, that's an important statement to make. Somebody who is going to receive any kind of financial help from the church should have a good example. And she should be a godly woman. When I think of this, I go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 38, and Anna in the temple. Remember, she's in the temple, and when the baby comes in, she... Here's the baby Jesus, and she holds him and talks about him. Simeon's there also. But she's somebody who is a good example. She's been godly all of her life. There's been a consistency that's been inbred into her life as far as serving the Lord. Now, this should be for all of us, not just widows. 
but it should be for all of God's people to have that kind of a consistency in our lives. He says, they should show piety and to require for their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. She's been a good example. And her children and grandchildren know this. This is not something that just happened on the spur of the moment. And she has placed her needs before others. Okay, verse 8, verse, uh, verse 5. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate, trust in the Lord and continueth in supplication and prayers night and day. So I think there's two things going on here. We'll see this again in a few minutes. He says, if there is somebody who is a widow indeed, the first responsibility comes from her children and her grandchildren to take care of her. You say, well, that, that's common sense. Well, is it? If somebody knows that the church is setting aside a fund of, we'll just make up a number. I don't want to give anybody a heart attack. $100,000 in this church. And we're not going to do that, by the way. We don't have it as one thing. But if we did that, and we said, now, if you're a widow, you can apply for this. I wonder how many would say, well, you know, I think I need to go ahead and do some applying for this thing. <laughs> That's not the point. The point here is that children should take care of their grandparents or their mothers and their fathers. Well, mothers here because it's a widow. And grandchildren have certain responsibilities in this situation. The first area of responsibility is the family. And that's biblical. You see that every place in Scripture. That's why God placed you into a family, so that you would take care of your own, right? And so he says, the first area should be, the family should provide for them. But he says, if that's not possible. Verse 5, we've got another group. Uh, she is desolate. So I would say there's a contrast here between verses 4 and 5. The widows in verse 4, they have somebody who can help them. The ones in verse 5, they don't have anybody to help them. They trusted in God and continued in supplication and prayers day and night. They've been faithful in their lives of serving God through everything they've done. But they are desolate. The church has a responsibility. But the widow must meet the qualifications. And we'll see those as we move through the passage. She's been involved in prayer. She's been involved in caring for others. That would be part of what the qualifications would be. In other words, she has given her life to the Lord and His service. That's the verse tells us, right? Because he used a contrast in verse 6. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. You know, there's a, con there's a problem going on in Ephesus. There's some who really haven't done this. They just sort of come, Johnny come lately and says, well, you know, I've got this need you need to take. No, you need to live for the Lord is the point of the passage. Verse 7, and these things give in charge that they may be blameless. Boy, there's our these things again. We've looked at that before, haven't we? He's always referring to the passage that he's talking about, that they may be blameless. Our number one responsibility, whether it's a widow or whether it's anybody else, is to be blameless before God and to be a good testimony. Verse 4, verse 8, keep going. But, and here's the result of that family obligation, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. What strong language. Young people, 
you have responsibilities to your parents. They cared for you all those years. And you weren't very pretty or very pleasant back in that day either. I'll tell you that right now. He says the first responsibility for a widow should be her family. And you know, for us that seems like that just makes sense. But you know, we're living in a day and age where that's not the facts anymore. He says, you should make some arrangements to do that. And isn't that true? You're here this morning. You ought to make some arrangements for your parents and your grandparents. And let me say this. You should do it in this way. You should spend... Here's, here, this is profound, folks. You should spend less than you make. Isn't that great? You should spend less than you make. Right there is the key to all physical and financial responsibility. In one little brief sentence. And so we as young people should even be preparing for these days because when it comes to the point where they need some help, we should be prepared for that, our own selves, and we should be prepared for that for those that we love and care for. It's not, in this situation, the church's responsibility to take care of them. It's the family's responsibility to take care of them. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because somebody who won't take care of his own house, now boy, we could talk about that with a man, you know, who's not providing for his house. He's worse than an infidel. Very strong language. And so, Paul says, Timothy, and there must have been a problem there. He says, when it comes to these ladies who are destitute, okay, their family should step up to the plate first, no doubt about it. And they should be the ones who take care of that. But he says, these are not self-centered people that you're taking care of. They're not going to, you know, give them something they can just live in their own pleasure, verse 6. So they can have everything they want. No, it's because they've served the Lord. And they have poured their hearts out before God, right? That's the idea. And so these are widows indeed. The last group would be the younger widows. And so there's another classification, verses 9 through 16. And he talks about some qualifications here. That would be A on your outline. To younger widows. He says, let not a widow be taken into the number under 30 score years of old, having, having been the husband of, or the wife of one man. Let's get that mixed up. Put the widows into the number. What's he talking about? There must have been some kind of an official role that was found in the church there at Ephesus that widows who were having difficulty could be placed in. And they had to be at least 60, not 60 years old. 60? I mean, that seems... But folks, we're talking about an age where 60 was... Remember when Social Security was first started? And Man, when was that? When did FDR do that great thing? 1945? I think, well, it wasn't the 40s. I read about it. Back in the 30s, wasn't it? 60 was, or 65 was a long lifespan, wasn't it? Not anymore. Now, you know, it's, for me, it's 66 and two months. For my brother, it's 66 and six months. For my wife, it's 67. And for some of you, it's going to be 70, and who knows, maybe 75. 
right? Because this is talking about a day where the lifespan was short. And so 60 would be considered a long life. Now, if the lady was 59 and three months, you say, well, you, you, we can't have that. I mean, we've got to wait six. That's not the point here. It's not, well, you know, we've got to wait six more months before we can find. No, he's using this as an idea, okay? It says, you know, if she's under that, there's certain things that she can do for herself. You notice the personal responsibility in this whole passage? Isn't this great? We are living in a world today that has no personal responsibility for anything. And when I read this, I see personal responsibility just sticking out all over. You know, if you're able, you take care of yourself. If you've got children, they take care of you. You don't, you don't depend upon somebody else to do so. Oh, if our country would listen to this, right? It says, you know, you got personal responsibility here. Under the age of... Three score, and having been the wife of one man. Oh, what, what? She's been remarried. Does that mean that she disqualifies herself? That can't mean that. Because in verse 14, what does he say? He says, I would that younger widow, widows marry. So what's he doing? Setting them up? If they marry, then they've got to put them on the roll later on? That's not what Paul's doing. No, he says, this is for a certain lady who is a, her heart has been for that man all of her life. Now see, boy, the qualifications are getting tougher, aren't they? This is someone who's lived for God, lived for her family. Goes on in verse 10, well reported for her good works. Five ifs. Notice them. He's going to say here are five ways that her good works are demonstrated. Paul is saying, I'm going to lay them out for you. Here's how you can evaluate to see if a widow has been faithful to God throughout her life. Five ifs. If she hath brought up children. Now, I know this stuff is just foreign to our culture today, but folks, that is where a lady's heart should be is in her home. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, she's been involved in hospitality, if she has washed the saints' feet, She's been involved in service. If she has relieved the afflicted, she's been caring about others. If she's been diligently following every good work. Sort of a capsule statement at the end. This is the one who should be placed on the roll to receive any kind of assistance if she is destitute would be one who lived this kind of a lifestyle. Not concerned about herself, but concerned about her testimony. Now, disqualifications, that would be B. Starts in verse 11, we have the word but, so we're contrasting, right? As soon as you see that, you see, well, there's a contrast going on. He's just talked about what would qualify one to be on the roll. Now he's going to talk about what would not qualify one to be on this roll. What kind of a lifestyle has she lived? Boy, it's very practical here. But the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry... It's not the idea of being married. Let's go on and get this understanding of what he's talking about here. Having damnation, here's the real reason, because they have cast off their first faith. So here's the issue here. Let's be careful. Watch, especially the widow who has been widowed young. Who does she choose to marry the next time? Just for companionship? 
just because this looks good to her? Or is it because this is how God's directed? Marrying somebody could cause her to upend her entire testimony in life. So Paul was saying, watch. Because if one is consistently saved, it will what? We will persevere to the end. It will follow them to the end. So he says, if they just marry because they're lonely and they need something and they marry outside the faith, they marry an unsaved person or whatever you could do, or somebody who's not living for the Lord, he says, be careful. Don't put those people on the list because their hearts are not where they should be. Now he goes on, verse 13. And with all they learn to be idle. Now they've been put on the list for finances. And so he says, be careful you don't do that because sometimes you put them on this list, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tabbers also and busybodies speaking things they ought not to do. He says, you just give them free time to do anything they want to do, it could be a problem, especially if they've got some problems in their heart. He's always down on gossiping and tailbearing. I mean, you can't read Scripture very far, you see that. It's amazing how many times we try to circumvent those kind of regulations that God gives to us. But you know the old adage, idle hands are a devil's, uh-oh, devil's plaything, right? I think I got it right. Idle hands are the devil's plaything. And if a parent don't realize that early, they're going to have all kinds of problems with their kids. She talked about my mother here, so I'm talking about widows indeed, right? She substituted for me when I was in the first grade. And we were finished with our work. And she said, okay, get your reader book out. You start copying page one. And we copied pages one, two, three, four, because she said, if you're not busy, you're going to get in trouble. And so we just started copying books because there was nothing else to do. You know, that's sort of the philosophy here, isn't it? Idle hands are the devil's playthings. And so if someone comes to the church and receives resources, and then they have all this free time to go out and gossip and tell, tell bear, he says, you're defeating everything that's going on here. Because the purpose is what? Personal responsibility. I will therefore that younger men will marry, younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, you know, get back into life. Work your life. For some have already turned aside after Satan. That's strong language, too. Because of idleness, then because of marrying the wrong person, they have now recanted or turned back from what they should be doing for God. I think the last verse is kind of a summary. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and not, let not the church be charged that it may be relieved of those who are widows indeed. There's only so many resources. When's our government going to learn this? There's only so many resources. And it should be taken care of by those who are concerned. And so he says, you know, if somebody has some resources and they know a widow, then they ought to take care of them. Not go to the church and put them on the roll and have that kind of an issue going on. Genuine ministry. Part of the family. 
caring for one another, and, and doing it in a responsible way. Not just handing it to somebody and saying, you know, use this. No, it, it's done because a life has been, has been proven with certain things. You know, the Bible is always more concerned about what we do than what we say. The Bible is always concerned about how we live our Christian lives, how the world views us in this world today and the things that go on around us. It's always the responsibility of the family to care for the members of that family. Same is true in a church. It's the responsibility of the church to care for those in the church. We must be diligent, discerning about the resources God has given to us. Remember, God gives to families the responsibility of caring for others. And when it comes to church funds, it's always easier to spend somebody else's money than it is your own. We have to always remember that because it affects us in a certain way. But this means that we have submitted ourselves to Christ. That's the whole idea here, right? Know Christ as personal Savior and allow Him to work in our lives. So the underlying principle for this is when you read about these widows indeed is that they have submitted themselves to the blood of Jesus Christ. They have confessed their sins. They've accepted Him as their personal Savior. And they are part of the family and they have consistently lived their lives in a way that show forth that God is the most important person in their life. What a challenge for all of us to live that way. John MacArthur ends this section with a story that I want to just give to you as I'm finished this morning. An older lady came to Pastor McLaren one day in, in Scotland. She had been in the church all of her life, and he came to her and he says, um, and she's, she's crying, she's wiping her tears from her eyes, and he says, what's disturbing you so much? She said, well, well, sometimes I feel like I've done just so little for the Lord. And when I think about it, it makes my heart so heavy. Because really, I have done so little for Jesus Christ. When I was a little girl, she said, I, I gave myself, I spoke to Him, I told Him I would do whatever He wants me to do, I surrendered myself to Him. And yet I feel like I haven't done anything for Jesus Christ. And she says, he says to her, he says, what have you done with your life? And she says, well, nothing. I've just done nothing. He says, you know, I've washed the dishes. I've cooked three meals a day. I've taken care of the children. I've mopped the floor. I've mended the clothes. Everything a mother does, you know, those issues that are true from motherhood. So McLaren sits back in his chair and says, where are your boys? And she spoke to him. Well, you know, I named them for the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know all of them. They all raised in the church. You know where Mark is. You ordained him. He went to China. He learned the language. He's an able minister of the people in the name of the Lord there. Where's Luke? Well, Luke, he went to Africa. You know him also because you sent a letter to him the other day. He's in Africa right now. A great revival has broken out in his mission, state, in his mission station. What about Matthew? Well, he's with his brother in China. They're working together. And John, he's only 19, said he came to me last night. He said the Lord led on his heart to go to Africa. He said, I told, he told me this. He said, Mom, I'm going to Africa. 
But don't you worry about it, Mother, because the Lord has shown me that I'm going to stay with you till you go home to glory, and then I'll go. Until then, I have to take care of you. McLaren looked at the elderly saint and says, your life has been wasted, you say? Yes, it's been wasted. You've cooked and mopped and washed. But I would love to see the reward when you're called home to heaven. Isn't that what it's all about? Sometimes we think what we're doing is just not that important. And sometimes the world sells us a bill of goods. We've got to do something that they tell us we've got to do. Instead of just the basics of being what God would have us to be. Church is a place where we should minister to one another and care for one another and see God's love exhibited to those in the family. Responsibility. It's almost a curse word anymore, isn't it? We are responsible. God has placed so much into our lives. He's blessed us in so many ways. He blessed us, first of all, in salvation. If you're saved this morning, if not, you need to be saved. You accept Christ as personal Savior. And then He's blessed you with relationships. And especially in a community such as ours, I would dare say almost everybody in our church has connections to other people here in this community. Because that's sort of the community we've grown up in, right? Or I was an import. Import, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you sort of grew up in this community. And so, you know, that's, that's a blessing that a lot of people don't have. But we do have personal responsibilities. And let me just quote you this. Master, what's the greatest commandment? The lawyer asked Jesus Christ. And what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Is not the members of your family your neighbors? Whether it's your spiritual family or your personal family. Love them with all your heart. That is the essence of the law, he states. Father, I thank you for this section of Scripture.